Hi, everyone. Just before we get going, I want to remind you that everything we talk about and discuss should not be considered as investment advice. The purpose of what we talk about on Catherine Murray Media and Markets on YouTube, as well as Catherine Murray in conversation with on my podcast, should be viewed as informational and entertainment purposes only. Please definitely do your own research, your own homework, and definitely consult an investment professional before making any investment decisions. And also to note, some of us might hold positions in some of the stocks uh, that we discuss. Uh, Brandon, great to be able to catch up with you. Thanks so much. And for our viewers to know, this is Brandon Austin who's joining us today. He's the CEO, founder of, of Venator Capital Management. Uh, thanks uh, thanks for your time. Uh, this is the top five at five. So we're going to get five of your top stock ideas for our viewers. Sure. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Good to see you. <laughs> and, and Brandon, I do like, look, we're not doing macro on this top five at five, but just given mm. the market volatility, I do want to get kind of your one liner in terms of how you're looking at the world. Uh, yeah, I mean, my quick view of the world. So last year, uh, early in the year, we thought inflation was going to be a huge issue at the end of the year and the Fed was going to start raising rates. And we didn't really profit as much as we should have from that call because the market didn't seem to notice it till January. So last year, we just turned a blind eye. So this year, I'm going to I'm going to make I'll, I'll give you my sort of nine month view. And as much as everyone's panicking now, two uh, percent interest rates, two and a half percent was inevitable. Um, you're going to hit the back half of this year. Uh, in the back half of this year, all of the inflation, like once we start to reopen, people get back to work, um, semiconductor shortages ease up, shipping lanes open up a bit because we got more people at work at the at the docks. Uh, what you're going to see, and people have to realize, it, you know, cars, um, you know, cars, new cars start getting produced again. Uh, what people have to realize to some extent is like when you talk to some companies, the only inflation that you really have to worry about to some extent is labor inflation. Um, shipping shipping costs are going to fluctuate back and forth, but that'll get evened out. And that's been a huge component for companies is shipping. So a lot of those numbers, you know, they'll still be higher when, than they were two years ago, but that's different than inflation. Inflation is year over year. So by the end of the year, this stuff's going to come, it's going to start taming down from seven, seven and a half percent now to probably like two to 3% by the end of the year. Like, you know, new cars will be coming off the lot, but, but, but used car prices are going to implode, right? Like they'll go down 20, 30% because they're pricing them above new cars instead of your, your 20, 30% discount. These are going to have a massive deflationary effect and then labor is going to come up and meet it. So what you're going to see, I think, is by the end of the year, the Fed's going to have to reassess just how bad inflation is. And then, you know, what, what's going to happen is all these people are like, oh, you know, we're going to get 13 straight rate hikes. Like, that's not going to happen. You're, you're going to see by the end of the year, the Fed's going to be, you know, 75, 100 beeps up. They'll say we have 100 more beeps to go. You know, we might do it over a year. We might do it over two years. We'll, we'll play it by year. But, but the panic will be gone over all of this. And I think that's going to create a fairly... Uh, that's going to create a very bullish uh, setup for the market as, as we get out of panic and more into normalcy. And the other thing you have to remember is that is that we're still getting back to work, right? Like, you know, the U.S. is good, but Canada, our viewers will know, Canada, like, Toronto, it's a ghost town still, right? And, yeah. and, and, and that's still happening in China with rolling shutdowns. It's like Vietnam with rolling shutdowns. It's still happening throughout Europe with rolling shutdowns. Like, most of most of the global economy is 
you know, maybe at 80%. So, you know, all of that's going to be positive as we reopen and we stop worrying about inflation and, you know, we have a more measured pace and, and, and better messaging from the Fed. So I think you've got, you got to get through this choppiness, but if, if you find those good reopening plays, I think that you're, that you're, you're looking at a fairly good second half of the year setup. Well, yeah, it's interesting because of these rolling shutdowns that you're talking about, you know, I, I've been having some conversations on the side, just saying like, you know, we really, you know, haven't seen, I don't think the real reopening trades take hold yet. Um, and I think that that's probably a nice opportunity if you can kind of get through some of the choppiness. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, we, we're looking at that. It, we're looking at the reopening trade. I mean, you could just imagine um, you know, how good it's not one of my picks necessarily. We own it, um, but you could just imagine what happens to like Disney parks when, when things start you know, getting rolling in movie theaters and, you know, restaurants and cruises and casinos. And I mean, there's just so much more to go. There's so much more to go. Yeah. I don't even think we're at 80%, even close. No. And and global, globally, I mean, you take away the U S a lot of these places probably in a 15, what's Canada at really? I mean, realistically, what's Canada at in terms of reopening? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like essential services only. And it's crazy. Yeah. It's crazy. Crazy. Okay, so let, let's get with um, some of your top ideas, and thanks for that top-down view. Um, why don't we start with um, ZipRecruiter, speaking of wages and employment? Yeah, I mean, you're kind of asking me to, to sort of give you my best pitch first, so, you know. Oh, is that your best pitch? <laughs> ZipRecruiter, I mean, I'll tell you, ZipRecruiter, um, could there be a better setup than ZipRecruiter? So ZipRecruiter is, it's actually a bit off the radar because they came public in a, in a um, non-traditional fashion. They did a direct listing. And, and as a result, they've only got like four or five analysts covering it. Um, they've absolutely massacred the last two quarters, just destroyed estimates. Um, the growth is through the roof. There's some easy comparisons with the prior year, but there's only really two places to go in terms of online recruitment. I mean, there's three, but but LinkedIn's a bit more of a networking thing. But at this point, the past competitors, Career Builder and Monster, have basically dropped off the map. They've left the market to Indeed, who's the number one guy, and ZipRecruiter, who's the number two guy. Um, ZipRecruiter is generally believed to have the best uh, artificial intelligence algos, and they they fill jobs in like a matter of weeks. And you've seen a lot of advertising because they're trying to get more people on the platform because there's so much more people looking for jobs because there's so much demand for jobs. But, you know, for people who've been paying attention, the biggest issue right now is actually labor. Um, Labor is a huge issue. We can't find enough people, especially during reopening. And we're switching jobs. So even beyond the sort of reopening and let's get people back to work. You know, I think there's a solid 10-year macro that only about 5% of the of job seekers or, you know, jobs are placed online. And hmm. they actually have a very clever, um, they have a, a very clever model where it's almost like Tinder, right? Like it, like they, they you sort of, you put your application and then the job, the, the people who are looking to hire people, they put on there and then they say, this looks like this will be a good match. They actually have like a little like, you know, it's a match kind of thing, but they have like, this would be a good match for you. And they have AI algos say, you might want to tweak your resume. Like here's 30 people looked and, you know, we think that this is where you might want to tweak your resume. So that's where the AI comes into play. Um, but the stock is exceedingly cheap. So they used to do 
um, you know, they, they're capable of doing 30 to 35% margins. If they got there, this thing might be at 12 times next year's earnings if they, if they scale back on the marketing, which I don't necessarily think they will. But you're talking a 10-year macro, which is probably one of the better setups you're going to have over the next year. Companies are desperate to hire people right now, and they get paid as these, as these, as these listings go um, on the system. They don't necessarily get paid some of their markets, some of the stuff they get paid as, as people get hired, but a lot of it is just companies posting jobs, wanting to, needing to hire people. Um, if, if you think that, that the labor shortage is big, um, it's, it's going to be huge. And I think that labor shortage, I think that hiring and, you know, like I'm old, you know, for lack of a better word, right? Like when, when I graduated university, you know, you know, several decades ago at this point, um, you know, you went and you work for someone, you built a career, right? And younger generations, they don't have that same mentality. Like they're like, oh, I'll work here for two years and then I'll go find, I'll, I'll take six months off, take a mini sabbatical and then I'll find something better. And, you know, it's a, it's a bit more of a mercenary, um, a bit more of a mercenary market in terms of where I'm going to work instead of, oh, look, I'm going to go, I'm going to be here and then I'm going to get promoted and I'm going to promote, I'm going to be vice president. I'm going to, you know, um, yeah. That doesn't exist. So, so a company like ZipRecruiter, like that's where you want to be. It's not just, it's not just we're trying to hire people. So we've got all this job switching and job switching when companies are constantly trying to upgrade with an eye to this person might only be with us for two to three years if we can't retain them. That that's something where even at full employment, just the switching of jobs is going to benefit them probably for this whole generation, which could be 10 years. And again, 5% of people looking for jobs online. I mean, how many people used to look for their, for their, uh, you know, for, for their, you know, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, yeah. wife online, it was like nothing. And now it's like, you know, 30, 40%. Well, I, 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 I can see a world where 30 to 40% of people looking for a job are doing it, you know, through a zip recruiter and indeed that that's, that's like 10 times where we are now. So big fan. So- Okay, so but why? Um, I you know years ago when I worked on Wall Street, I actually traveled with the uh, the monster um, CEO and CFO mm-hmm. many many years ago. Um, what what what? I don't even know if it's relevant to. Well, it is a little bit. What happened to their business? Like what what is it about the business model? Do you it's think just that- they fell off the map? They they took the Craigslist attitude. They didn't have the the AI, and uh, over time that the the, the, the ZipRecruiter and Indeed were the guys that were going to get you the job, right? And so that comes from two ends. One, you're going to, you're more likely to apply on a ZipRecruiter. You might apply everywhere, but you're more likely to apply on, on ZipRecruiter Indeed in terms of throwing your resume out there, which isn't something you necessarily do on, uh, you know, on a LinkedIn. So you're going to do a lot of marketing. You do Super Bowl ads and stuff. You're going to try and grab that massive pool. I mean, that's why people go to Tinder because it's got, the largest pool of single people. So the companies are going to go to these places. They got the largest pool of applicants. And then they did the AI to do the better matching. So you're matching in, in you know, three, four days or, or one or two weeks, right? Like the companies can, can zero in. It's actually the point where a lot of, um, you know, brick and mortar recruiting agencies, they actually use ZipRecruiter mm-hmm. as, as one of the ways that, you know, they'll like, we'll use it on your behalf, Starbucks or whoever it is, right? right. So, you know, all of that played into the fact that that Monster and Career Builder were early, but they weren't necessarily efficient. And given the volume of people looking for jobs and the volume of companies looking for people, you know, efficiency becomes super important. And, you know, it, you know, I've, 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 
sort of, you know, had interviews with people who used to work at, at Career Builder and Monster, like, yeah, we just, they fell off the map and they're never coming back. It's basically Indeed and then ZipRecruiter and then LinkedIn, which, which is a little different, but, but still there in yeah. their own way. Yeah. Okay. All right. Um, let's, uh, let's get going here. Um, hmm. let, let's talk about a Canadian name. Sure. Uh, uh, Nanal, analysis. there for anybody who's listening right now. N S C I Canadian small, small cap company, small, small cap company. Yeah. But, but really, but an interesting company. I, I really like small caps. Um, and this is kind of a micro cap. Uh, I do find it a little challenging to find uh, Canadian microcap companies that that you know look like they can do something really big and special. A lot of them are sort of like, oh, we're really small, we're growing at twenty percent a year, and we can throw on a couple acquisitions, and you know, great, right? Um, an analysis is one of those super proprietary technologies. Um, so really proprietary technology. I think they had 100% growth last year organically, uh, and then they've 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 basically they're they're growing a little too fast, and they recently made an acquisition which effectively buys them a, a, a sales force in their chosen market. So, you know what an analysis has managed to do is they have basically managed to miniaturize magnetic uh, resonance uh, machines. So. Um, usually when you're dealing with magnetic resonance, this is what like pharma companies use for, for you know, basically molecule analysis, um, for lack okay. of a better word. It's the same technology that you'd use for an MRI, right? So it's basically like a, a scanning technology, right? So um, they're not quite at the point where they've, min they've miniaturized a, an MRI machine yet. It's definitely on their R&D radar. They think that they'll have a, you know, you could do like, a, instead of going in like the big tunnel, which I did like a couple of weeks ago, they, you, you can, um, you know, you can do a shoulder or you can do a leg. It can be like, you know, it can be the size of your desk instead of like a whole room. Um, hmm. that, it's the same tech. So that's something that they're hoping to do. Uh, within the next, you know, three or four years. But in the interim, um, what they've got is they basically have a uh, an MRI machine, basically a, a miniature magnetic resonance uh, machine that I'm trying to think of like a, an equivalent size. Um, mm -hmm. I'm looking around my office for something, that would, right? <laughs> but it would be it would be about like you know that big, right? Like it, it would probably it would be about. Huh. You know, I want to say that's like two feet by, you know, two feet by one feet by one foot up. Right. Okay. Um, whereas normally these things would basically, you know, for for higher for higher um, for higher you know, quality image scans, you would need something the size of a room. But it just happens yeah. that a lot of things don't need that level of of analysis. So um, you think about things like measuring THC or CBD content. Um, in cannabis products, or you think about, you know, uh, you know, is this real olive oil, or you know, is it art, or, or is it, you know, the fake stuff? So a lot of food and drug customers, um, I think about uh, like police who are, you know, out looking for illegal drugs. Like you can take a substance, throw it in the machine, and and basically mm -hmm. it can tell you whether or not. Uh, you know, whether or not you have an illegal substance or, you know, whether they, or not petroleum has been manipulated. Do they, do they actually have a working product right now? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, okay. so they, yeah, the 100% growth last year is, okay. is mainly from this, this product, right? Okay. Which runs at 100 megahertz, um, which is, 
uh, lower than, like I said, the room-based ones, but the room-based ones is basically what you'd sell, send like, a, say, a blood test to in certain situations. Very expensive, has to be sent away. This actually can sit on the desk in the lab where you, you can actually do the analysis directly. It's actually quite a large industrial uh, market. Um, mm. But but like I said, they're just getting started. I mean, when, when I'm saying that they're going to have they're going to have 16 uh, million in revenues this year, like it's still less than like 50 units sold in a year. So they're just scratching the surface. The biggest player in the space is Bruker, and they have had a lot of difficulty coming up with their benchmark, uh, their their benchtop uh, MR machine. They've been talking about it for a couple of years. It is a it's considered a high growth market uh, within the larger market, which isn't as high growth. Um, but they've basically, uh, you know, they basically seeded uh, this market to an analysis while they've been trying to come out with uh, with their competitive product, which just hasn't been ready for prime time yet. Mm-hmm. So, so last year they put the so more recently they bought a, uh, a company that does a lot of servicing uh, in adjacent spaces, which effectively bought them a sales force. So they basically went eight million. 16 million they'll probably do 35 million 36 million this year and it's only got like a hundred million dollar market cap and usually companies in canada that have 100 percent growth uh they're trading it you know, with, with this kind of technology would normally trade it at multiples higher than this like three four hundred million dollar market cap so you know i think that this one is is really really uh interesting it's potentially explosive uh, growth for for three four years and then you've got this potential home run in can we make a miniaturized mri machine which would just be you know it would put yeah. the company into like the billions so you know i think it's good based on what they're doing i think it's explosive based on what they can do but even okay. based on what i think they'll do over the next two years i see the stock as a triple um but if they can get that miniaturized mri machine out there I mean, it could go from a dollar to ten dollars in like five, six years. So I'm very excited okay. about this stock. Okay, um, let's uh, take a look at another Canadian one, um, Euro Copper. Yeah, so Euro Copper, uh, it, it, it's kind of in my mind, it's a bit of a safer way to to play copper. I'm I'm a big copper fan. I mean, I'm not a huge commodity guy, but but copper is the commodity that that I've been pretty excited about for the last couple of years. I think in general, you're, you're going to see a greater focus on the electrification of, of energy, um, you know, globally, but, but North America, North America as well, but, but globally for the next probably 10 years. I mean, the, the global copper market is very much, um, it, it's the best way to think about it. It's spoken for, right? Like we, we, we use the copper we need, right? But as you create incremental demand, so for example, an electric vehicle uses four to six times more copper than a regular vehicle because you got to wire everything um, mm-hmm. and the wiring is more extensive. Um, we're seeing more wires being used in houses now. Um, you know, all these charging stations need wires. So I think you're going to see a lot more I'm quite certain you're going to see an increase in demand for copper over the next five years. But the problem is that globally, a lot of mines are actually starting to come off production. So you're going to hit, you know, starting in 2023 and probably lasting through 2026, 27, you're going to see sort of an acute shortage of, of copper that scrap copper won't be able to, to fill that that gap. So what you're looking for is you're actually looking for copper companies that are going to be ramping production over the next four years versus copper companies that, you know, are going to, are going to see mines coming off. That's not where I'd want to be. So, 
Eurocopper is one of those companies. Um, they're expected to ramp production for the next four years. Um, more, more expanding their existing mines, but but they've got a lot of land with a lot of copper. The the mines are more or less financed. It's got a very good balance sheet. They generate great cash flow. They're in Brazil, so their costs are in Brazilian real, which have been down. So they're sort of very yeah. low cost. They, they're low cost. So they're in my mind, they're a very low risk way um, to invest in like copper going to six or seven bucks. Uh, it, it, and because in Brazil, it doesn't really have that political, uh, that political risk, um, yep. you know, that you would see with a first quantum, which I also like, or Freeport, which, you know, which, which we don't own, but we do like first quantum, um, you know, but if copper, if copper makes one of those spikes, you know, to, to six, seven bucks, even if it settles back out at 450 or something, you're going to make a lot of money on these stocks. I also think, I also think Euro's probably, because it's such a low risk development project, it's probably a good acquisition target as well mm-hmm. for, for some of these larger companies that, yeah. you know, that, that are thinking about production. So I really like Euro Copper. If I was to pick another higher torque safe way to play, um, uh, Copper Mountain in Canada, uh, it's a bit higher cost, so it's a little more torquey. But again, it's in Canada, so it's a little easier for me to talk about things where I'm not discussing, you know, royalty rates in Zambia or Panama or, you know, <laughs> or anything like that. So, you know, okay. this is this is probably the safest way to play that. Okay, for there is ERO. I want to keep us honest to time. I love your fundamentals, yeah. though. Like that's what's so amazing as well. Um, let's uh, take a look at um, uh, Uber. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like so they, they report soon. They have an analyst day coming up, stocks below its uh, IPO price. Um, I really do like Uber. So um, the, the key with Uber is, is A, it's, it's obviously a great reopening play. Um, you know, the question mark for me is Uber Eats. Uh, you know, if, if you actually look at, at the competition like DoorDash, they have a really elevated valuation. And it's questionable, you know, Eats, Eats, yeah, people like, oh, that'll still grow by 20 or there's going to be a lot more retention than people think. The thing with Uber Eats is that Uber Eats doesn't actually make money, which is a, a bit surprising. They've been in such a land grab. Um, but the play here is really going to be mobility and mobility coming up. Mobility does make money. It's just buried in, you know, in the corporate structure, uh, but it actually makes a lot of money and, and that's going to come up. And so it, it, you're going to see Uber inflect to be surprisingly profitable, surprisingly profitable. And, mm-hmm. and I, I could see this stock easily doubling, if not more, as the street gets behind it. A lot of the, of the sell side analysts actually like it, but the street's very skeptical in terms of, uh, profitability. I do believe that that this can be a twenty five percent, you know, margin business overall, which would put the stock at a very modest uh, earnings multiple relative to its growth. The thing I like about Uber Eats is that is that the competition out there, or Uber in general, is, the competition out there is really for drivers. And when you think about what Uber has in terms of, you know, in terms of getting people to subscribe, so you can get Uber and Uber Eats and Uber Freight for for package delivery. It, that's great for you, the user, because you can save some costs by subscribing. But it's also great for the for for getting drivers, right? So you know, mm-hmm. drivers are kind of free agents, but. Um, in, in this case, like, look, we can keep you busy through rush hour. We keep you busy, you know, both times a day. Then we can keep you busy through lunch. We can keep you delivering packages, you know, between meals and back. So you can you can get a driver and you can actually keep them busy all day, which becomes 
very efficient. And, and you know, I know that the, the bear case is always regulatory on this stuff and like, oh, you know, they're, they're going to sit there and say, well, if someone works and, you know, the Uber and say, well, people want to be free agents and they'll be like, no, 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 no. You know, we want to see benefits and stuff like that. Okay. So, you know, if you believe it's going to get regulated too much, right. And that, oh yep. no, they won't be able to make his money. The, They'll just raise prices 10%. I know that sucks as a user, but you know, what I'll always say to a bear who says regulatory and, you know, I'll be like, they'll raise price. What are you going to do? Order a cab? No, you're not going to order a cab. You're going to keep ordering your Uber, right? You actually like call the cab company and send a cab here. Like in a, in a, it'll be there in a half hour. No, like that game's over. They could raise the price by two bucks. You will still pay it to get your Uber ride. So, um, so I'm, I'm very bullish and we're hitting an inflection point right now. So Omicron is going to be a little sketchy. I think the street's prepared for that. Um, The key will be when the company has their analyst day in a couple of weeks, and they're going to be talking about, you know, where margins go through reopening, but it's a great reopening play because it's just been false start after false start for these guys with COVID up and down, up and down. Yeah. Okay. Um, I like that. I'm going to take a deeper look at that one. Um, Let's do the last one because we're almost over. Sure, sure. <laughs> but in 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 you've said yeah. the word. Innovative, innovative, innovative. So yeah, it's it, this is this is a this is like uh, it's it's a U.S. small cap. It's not very well known. Um, they basically do preclinical uh, outsource preclinical research for pharma companies, and so. Um, the CEO, basically you're betting on the CEO has just proven a rock star taking this thing out of, from the brink of bankruptcy, really. And what he's actually been able to do is that he's been able to, he's made a bunch of acquisitions um, that have worked out really well. So he's been buying <laughs> under capacity research because the big research guys, they don't worry about pre-clinical, the money's all in the FDA two trials, right? Yeah. So you can grab a bunch of these small guys who are under capacity and you can do a lot of cross-selling because um, you develop a lot of capabilities for the earlier stage stuff. And obviously the earlier stage stuff is like a huge funnel of small people. And then as you get into FDA, that funnel, you know, we, we blew FDA one, we blew FDA, you know, two and a half. And now you've got a few people with big contracts. So what they're doing is they're going after a lot of people with smaller contracts. And so what they did a couple of months ago is they actually they bought a company um, that's, you know, the leader in uh, non-human primates and rabbits and mice and feed for all these, you know, for all these early stage sort of, you know, testing, you know, yeah. here and there, like, are we going to get adverse reactions to organic, uh, to organic creatures, animals? Um, and that market is, is very tight. Prices are coming up. But the point is that that company has a lot more preclinical. There's a lot of preclinical there. That company has a lot more preclinical customers than Innovative did. So the cross-selling here is going to actually be, you know, very impressive. And so Innovative now has some runway uh, to make some more acquisitions and, and expand their facilities and fill, and fill them up. So, you know, I can see this company earning, you know, I don't think, I don't think the street's off base. They'll probably earn like two, two and a half bucks a share in a year or two when they get everything pieced in, but it's a very high multiple space because obviously it's a very good macro uh, for, you know, for drug development over the yeah. next 10 years. So, you know, you could, the stock actually was at 55 after they announced that acquisition. And then, you know, 
good news kept coming, but the market kind of sold off and they did a convertible bond and everything. And the stock actually bottomed a couple of weeks ago at, um, at about 25 bucks. And we put in our best ideas fund. And I think they actually report in a couple of days and it'll be a stub quarter, but, um, but you know, I, I can see that I think it deserved to be at the 60 bucks it was at, at its high. And uh, I could see it getting back there. It, it's just starting to get discovered by the street. Nice. Okay. And the ticker there is NITV, correct? Uh, it's NOTV, I think. NOTV. Okay. NOTV. Okay. Yeah, NOTV. Okay. All right. Okay. Um, Brandon, that's amazing. We're going to leave it there to keep us uh, honest to time. I, I love being able to give, uh, you know, the viewers an amazing fundamental analysis. It's just incredible. And, and your top ideas. So thank Great. you. Well, hopefully, uh, hopefully, you know, they, they, they usually won't all work, but most of them usually work. So <laughs> perfect. Perfect. All right. We'll leave it there. Thank you.